Welcome to On Attachment, a place to learn about how attachment shapes the way we experience dating, love, and relationships. I'm your host, relationship coach and attachment expert, Stephanie Rigg, and I'm really glad you're here. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of On Attachment. So this week is a very special episode. I am coming to you from beautiful Bali and I'm here with my partner, Joel. Hello. That's Joel. (laughs) So to be totally transparent, I was meant to record a podcast episode before heading away on holidays, didn't quite get around to it. And so I was going to have to record one here and I thought, why not invite Joel to come on and chat with me? about our relationship. And so I put the call out on Instagram for your questions and received so many. So we're going to have a chat through some of those. Okay. So the first question that we're going to answer here is how did you meet? I'll take that. Okay. That's an (laughs) easy one. I like this question. Uh, Simply, I slid into Stephanie's DMs in a very (laughs) non-creepy way, but yeah. It's true. We met via Instagram. Who would have thought? Uh, so, look, that's not an invitation to <laughs> any of my male listeners, uh, but that is how we met. We met by our Instagram and we were friends for a while before we were more than that. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, we met by our Instagram, DMs. Who knew? That was an easy one. Did you both know about attachment styles when you started dating and what are your attachment styles? <laughs> so this one's kind of funny because Joel was one of my – one of my Instagram followers and sort of in my community, granted when it was a lot smaller, he actually took my attachment styles quiz on my website. Hmm. And so not only did we know about attachment styles, but I had his in-depth quiz results that I was able to scrutinize (laughs) and file away. Uh, So there you go. I obviously knew about attachment styles. Joel was probably newer to it, but still had some awareness, would you say? I... I had very little idea. But, yeah, that was the first I learned about uh, fearful avoidance was doing Stephanie's quiz. And so I may have been trying to come across as secure in the chat. I'm laughing because you're calling me Stephanie and I think this is the first time I've ever heard you call me (laughs) Stephanie. (laughs) Very formal. Very formal. Uh, So to answer the question around, you know, what are your attachment styles? I've spoken about this before. My sort of background is certainly in in anxious attachment. You know, these days I'm I'm pretty good, having done a lot of work on that, obviously. Uh, and Joel is more in the fearful avoidant camp or, or disorganized attachment. Mm-hmm. Yes. The next question: How do you handle conflict? I am, tend to be the one that wants to run away from the conflict usually after I have started it. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think that's necessarily true. No, the way I would answer that, I think we have like our autopilot or default responses and then we have our more mature chosen responses to conflict. So I think my baseline is definitely like we need to talk about it. Mm. (laughs) We need to talk about it now. Like anxiously attached listeners will relate to that. It's that pursue withdrawal kind of dynamic because, you know, just having conflict or tension 
or some sort of issue, just like letting it sit in the air can be really uncomfortable. And so there can be this almost urgent need to talk about it and resolve it and, you know, eliminate the discomfort of, of tension and conflict. So that's certainly like my default programming. I think Joel, you are more, yes, you need the space. I need the space. (laughs) Um, so if anyone is listening who might identify with avoidance, um, I tend to be very reactive at the start and I've realized now through a lot of what Steph has introduced me to and further reading for me to be in conflict at the start when I'm really dysregulated is just not very optimal. So we've learned to just give each other a bit of space, but then we do come back and have that mature conversation. Mm. Yeah, it's it's funny. This question, I, I reckon I had 10 or 15 different versions of it submitted in the question box for this episode, you know, asking about conflict. How do you manage it? You know, What do you fight about? How does it usually play out? How do you repair after conflict? So it's obviously like really front of mind for a lot of people. And I think, you know, rightly so, because it can profoundly impact your experience of safety in a relationship. And I think that, you know, it's, it's certainly a work in progress. It's not something that we've you know, mastered and don't need to continue honing, <laughs> but certainly nine times out of 10, I would say mm. we do pretty well at being able to have hard conversations in a safe way. And that's really one of my, you know, favorite things about our relationship that we're able to do that. And I think you know, we were talking about it yesterday and I think because there is so much love and care and trust in our relationship that even if we are, you know, one or both of us is feeling hurt or feeling defensive or whatever, it's not to such a degree that it overrides that base level of trust in each other. And I think that that trust leads us to be curious about the other person's experience and and still be able to access empathy even when we're hurt. Whereas I think for a lot of people, when they're in that moment of tension or rupture, it can feel so threatening and it can feel so unsafe that empathy is just not accessible at all. Mm-hmm. Um, and the the patterns of self-protection and self-defense are so feel just so viscerally important that under no circumstances are you going to lay down your shield or your sword, depending on what your sort of modus operandi is in conflict, but it's just you don't feel safe enough to be curious about the other person's perspective. And so I think for us, like something that we've learned to do pretty well and, you know, (laughs) emphasis on learned, we certainly didn't start there, uh, but we have for the most part learned how to do that in a safe way and I think that makes a big difference. Yeah, and I'll just add something to that. I I really really feel, you know, a lot of empathy towards the – you know, wanting to fight, having your sword raised and really being defensive. Because I've, I've felt that viscerally, like I really have. And I'm just learning that it's not so important. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm really just understanding, you know, where that comes from, that the need to be right, the need to have the last word. And, yeah, learning to just think and put yourself into – or just listen um, to someone else. Listen to your partner 
and try to put yourself into that position. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes, but I think, as you were saying before, Steph, you know, and we were talking about yesterday, that was building a foundation, so and a very strong foundation. So in confrontation, we're falling back on that. We're falling back on a very, mm. very good foundation. Yeah. Yeah. And I think being able to say things like, for example, if I notice you getting sort of reactive or defensive about something, I think there's enough of a secure base there that my response is usually, again, not perfect, but usually is more like what's going on for you. And like, it's, I'm able to be curious about like, huh, that's interesting. You're getting really defensive. Like what's, what's going on there rather than me in turn getting defensive or me then fighting back. Mm. Um, And so I think like being able to circuit break earlier and like circuit break with curiosity Mm. rather than respond with an equally like self-protective mechanism. I think that that can go a long way. Obviously that is again, a skill and it takes a level of emotional maturity to not take things personally and not, it's really hard (laughs) yeah absolutely okay have both partners had therapy yeah we both are still in therapy (laughs) i think it i mean to me i i talk about therapy quite a bit i see my therapist every week and it's it's to me it's just like a a pillar of my self-care for want of a better term it's a really important resource in my toolkit for feeling regulated, uh, not only in relationship, but just in, in life. Uh, and yeah, I think that it is a really important thing for me, at least it's a place where I can go to process things. Like it's a first stop on the road (laughs) so that when I am, if I'm feeling triggered or sort of raw about something, I can, I can take it there in the first instance, have someone to talk through the issue with, get an outside perspective because sometimes, you know, I think that's the beauty of therapy or coaching. It's another perspective when you're so in your own stuff, like you often can't step outside of it very easily. Uh, So being able to take something that's bothering me there first Mm -hmm. uh, before bringing it back to have a conversation with Joel to the extent that there's a conversation to be had, I think like having that processing time and that space for me to take it when it's raw or for me to take like, you know, fears and insecurities. I don't think that like those things are always necessary to share in their unfiltered state with your partner. I don't think that it always helps to be perfectly honest. Uh, so I think like having a, a first port of call for a lot of those, yeah, a lot of those concerns or emotions or fears or whatever is really beneficial. Yeah, no, I totally agree. For me, it's a way to, really reframe um my experience and as steph said before it's not it's not always the best practice to unload everything onto your partner and and sometimes it's best to have that i guess that someone someone in between you both so you can then better communicate what your experience for me i'm still developing a lot of skills a lot of a lot of methods to really see through, uh, I guess. I think it's understanding yourself more. I mean, from what we've talked more, about, yeah. like, you know, sorry to cut you off, but I think that. That's okay. I'll talk about this in counselling. You <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> <laughs> note that one down. Um, no, I, I think that it's like, 
it is. It's that process of getting curious about your own experience. It's like, what's this really about for me? And being able to have a space to work that out and get that kind of feedback so that when you then take an issue back or you just going back into the arena of your relationship, you've got more clarity around like, oh, what was it about like that comment or that situation that felt unsafe for me? Was it about that or was it about something else? What did that trigger in me? And just like having a a place to air all of that, that isn't inside your own head and isn't spewing it out onto your partner in real time, I think is, is incredibly valuable. And I've done this in the past in, in, in very different ways as well. I've gone through um, psychologists, um, you know, when I was younger, uh, psychiatrists, and I've also done men's work, which is not quite therapy, but it's a way of, of, of building a safe, safe space. And yeah, just working through projections. And I think for me as fearful avoidant, a lot of my projections or stories tend to dictate my behaviors. So it's good to get them out and have some kind of um, objectivity Mm. around them. Mm. Yeah. I mean, I think that that's like the beauty of any work in that, in that space. And my therapist all the time, I'll say like, oh yeah, but if I did that, then, you know, he would do this. And she's just like, how do you know? <laughs> it's yeah. like, you know, the stories we tell ourselves, she's like, yeah, fact or fiction. I'm like, oh, well, okay, maybe I don't know 100%. <laughs> but I think it's an important question to ask, right? It's like, oh, how much of that is my story and my prediction and my expectation? And, you know, I then shape my behavior preemptively based on what I'm expecting someone else to do in response. And then we end up creating mm-hmm. what we expect because we're already kind of responding to it as if it's happened. So I think like just having that mirror in a trusted person, whether that's a therapist or a coach or whatever, men's work, just having that space to work those things out with, you know, safe, trusted people is incredibly valuable. And I think, you know, really pays dividends when you bring it back to your relationship. Okay. Next question. Have you ever almost broken up? There were actually a surprising number of people who asked this as well. It's like, have you ever thought about leaving the relationship? Have you broken up? So it's funny because when I when we were pulling out these questions yesterday, I said to Joel, oh, a lot of people have asked this. And I was like, I don't think we've almost broken up. But then Joel didn't agree. <laughs> we were yeah. almost going to break for, up on air. For clarity, <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't think – of breaking up, but it, it, I guess it was more of like a knee-jerk response from a fearful avoidance early on in the relationship when things were hard. My knee-jerk reaction was like, "Oh, I could do this by myself," yeah. and that's my your runaway the, response, my runaway <laughs> safety response. So I didn't really like it's. It was a knee-jerk reaction, and given enough time, I realized like how silly. A response mm. like that, but it like a passing thought. I don't think we've. I don't think we've ever like had a conflict where that was, uh, you know, raised or anything like. Like I don't think it ever got to the brink. So probably what you're saying is that that was yeah. like a thing in your mind. Like yeah, yeah, very. I can use that as my last resort. Uh, my my trump card is well, I'll just leave. Yeah. Which I think you know, a lot of avoidant people. If anyone's listening, I'm sure you can relate to that. That it's just like. The ultimate uh, power move is being able to run away. Yeah. 
Anyway, no, we haven't almost broken up, but I think that that dynamic definitely existed more so in the beginning. Yeah. And, you know, to be fair, I... I just realised how silly I was. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And I think, like, to be fair, I certainly was aware of that in you. I think had I not... Had I not had the tools and knowledge that I do, that could have very easily gone that way. Mm. You know, if I were more reactive and coming from fear and pushing you and and gripping and, and controlling, which is often the the solution that anxious people come up with to try and, you know, hold on to someone who they feel is slipping away from them. I think if I'd gone that way, then you could have very well done your thing (laughs) and run as a way to get to safety for yourself. Uh, So I think that me having done a lot of work around this stuff probably enabled us to get through those initial growing pains Hmm. and for you to sort of reach a point where you didn't feel the need to rely on that as a, a safety blanket. Okay. Have you talked about past relationships So this is funny because we come from very different places in terms of past relationships. I am serial monogamist, have been in back-to-back relationships since I was 15. A lot of my memories of my life are sort of in like chapters based on the relationship that I was in. And so I think I probably talk about my past relationships a lot because all of my experiences Uh, kind of interconnected with the relationship that I was in at the time. Whereas Joel comes from a very sort of different relationship history and you can speak to that. Yeah, I think I just come from a classic avoidant history. So relationships here and there, funny because the the fearful avoidant both wants and then like (laughs) wants intimacy but then – really can't deal with it um, mm. when they have it. So, yeah, I went through, you know, romances and, and relationships, but very, very flighty. And, yeah, so my my history is around being independent and that strong attachment to identity of being independent mm. and a worldview, which is, you know, I said this to Stephanie Stephanie. I said this to Steffi yesterday. Like I feel like I have done a 180 degree turn and there was work before meeting Steph and maybe it's uh maybe it's an age thing as well, but I, I am definitely challenging those ideas around my ego and, and, and my identity and need needing or, I needed to be seen as independent and which kind of led, it not only has, not only had an impact on my relationships, but friendships and family. So, so we do, we do, yes. To answer the question, it's a, it's a brilliant question. Um, we do talk about each other's um, past relationships. Yeah. Obviously Steph's a um, lot more, you know, detail just because of the. <laughs> There's more detail to <laughs> yeah. talk about. There's, There's more, more detail. content. <laughs> but mine was around like different, I guess, themes of my life as well. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I have great relationships uh, with past partners. So does Steph. Yeah. So we don't really find, if the question is, you know, considering is this a, yeah. a visceral <laughs> response to Steph talking about her partners. <laughs> 
I guess we're also not trying to compare each other with our past relationships. Oh, yeah, I think that's probably true. Like there's no, not even, well, I can certainly say it's not like a jealousy thing. No. <laughs> it's There's no element of that. Um, so maybe that helps us to have those conversations in a very non-threatening way because there's just no sense of comparison or jealousy. Yeah. Okay, next one. What are your love languages? I mean, I think all of them are mine. (laughs) Yes. Hard to keep up with. (laughs) All the things all the time. All of the love. (laughs) I give it and want to receive it all the time. (laughs) Yes. Uh, No, but in all seriousness, I think, you know, I have a pretty textbook, you know, words of affirmation, physical touch. I think acts of service a bit as well. Drive you to the train station at 5.30 in the morning. That's pretty good. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, What about you, Jolly? Uh, I always get confused. What I like to receive (laughs) or what I like to give? You can do both. I I think acts of service for me. I'm learning uh, intimacy again. So it's – I'm sure there's people listening right now who – probably come from a more avoidant background and intimacy isn't either a given or it's, you know, it can be quite uncomfortable. And when you're with someone who is, is intimate and wants a lot of affection, (laughs) it can be uh, sometimes overwhelming. Mm. And I'm, you know, I'm making myself very vulnerable here. (laughs) Like full disclosure, I, yeah, this is, I feel this is something that I'm, I'm learning as well. But yeah, where I can communicate best uh, is is definitely acts of service. I like doing little things around. He's an excellent cook. <laughs> really, really top notch, and makes brilliant coffee. Yeah. So, so I'm. There's a lot of love that I'm goes into in house chef and yeah. and barista. And also very good at cleaning and organization. Yeah. If if my if my mother is listening, <laughs> if my mother is listening, she won't believe this. But yeah, it's it's funny the the our tendency to pick up traits of our parents as much as we fight <laughs> against it. And yes, I am surprising even myself of how much I enjoy having a clean and organized pantry. Pantry. I came home a few weeks ago and Joel had bought hundreds of dollars worth of Tupperware containers and was maniacally labeling them all. It was under under 200. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, okay. Is there an age gap? Yes, there is. Joel is five years older than me. Yes. That's a quick and easy one. Okay. What makes your relationship work? Um, what makes our it relationship work? It doesn't. <laughs> it really doesn't. Uh, what makes our relationship work? Uh, I think a lot of things. This is probably I'm a very funny. <laughs> but no, we do. I think like laughter and, and play and fun, you know, it sounds a bit basic, but it's so important to relationships. And I think that a lot of the time we we forget how important those things are. Um, but there's really no regulator for your nervous system like play and laughter. Uh, and so to be able to weave that into the everyday of your relationship is really important and really creates a lot of safety 
for other things to blossom. So I think that that certainly helps. Uh, values. Yeah, I think we have shared values on some pretty important things. Yes. We're both pretty committed to growth mm-hmm. and personal development. And getting to bed at 8 <laughs> we like both like to go to bed at 8 p.m., so that's good. <laughs> and wake up <laughs> very early. Yeah, wake up before 6. Uh, that helps. Yeah, I think that there's a lot of mutual love and respect hmm. and support. admiration and support. Yeah. And we are very active in voicing those things. It's so it's so mundane but like little words of like recognition and appreciation, even if it's like someone taking the bins out or cleaning up after dinner or cooking or whatever, it's just like, oh, like actually saying thank you for doing that. I think people can get so tied up in point scoring and competitiveness of like why should I have to thank my partner for doing basic things? It's just like I think you're just fighting the wrong fight there. So I think the more that you can infuse your relationship with like love and appreciation and recognition and affirmation, people respond very well to feeling seen and valued. And so I think that we probably both do a pretty good job of that. Mm -hmm. And the overall tone of our relationship is pretty positive and loving. Yeah. It is the small things. Yeah. Really, I would have disagreed but I think I just had a very vivid imagination and, you know, uh, Steph might not agree with this, but kind of like a romantic in my head. <laughs> and we tried to make up this grandiose idea of what a relationship is, but it really is just the, the small things compounding. Yeah. We also have a lot of rituals almost in that, you know, we have recently – get up so early, been watching the sunrise and having a coffee together. Let's, you know, five, ten minutes at the start of the day. Even if I'm a little bit um, – Grumpy? Grumpy. And <laughs> I'm a bit slower. Steph is <laughs> not surprising to anyone listening. Is very perky and <laughs> loves nature and the ritual of the sun rising, which I do as well, but not to mm. Steph's level of excitement. And I'm a Quick, little. Yeah. The sun's rising. My my day starts when the caffeine really um, uh, sets in. But yeah, we do we do have those rituals. We have we make dinner ninety five percent of the time. Yeah, and like we eat dinner by candlelight every night. I mean, it sounds kind of dorky, but it's like takes an extra five seconds, and we light candles and we sit and have dinner and talk to each other yeah. about our day and you know about what's going on with work or other stuff. You know, I think all of that really matters and it's just like the fabric that keeps you connected. Yeah, keeps me grounded as well. Mm. Someone who in the past needed, you know, I thought it was like more excitement or more things Mm. um, to have those rituals grounding me in Mm. a beautiful routine. Yeah. Yeah, I think it really does like create that – like consistency and, and reliability and safety as the foundation of the relationship. I think it really, again, has a positive ripple effect through not only the relationship but all aspects of life. One other thing that I would add to this, which is a bit, you know, more serious, but 
think being able to, and we've sort of already touched on it when talking about conflicts, being able to talk about uh, difficult things or concerning, you know, any any points of concern, anything that's like on either of our minds. Yes. There's always like a, a deep sense of trust that anything we bring to one another will be like handled with care for want of a better term. But yeah, I think that like being able to to bring things to each other mm. and know that that's not going to spiral into some big explosive fight, which, you know, certainly is something I've dealt with, you know, in a previous relationship, just like not really knowing how a conversation is going to go. And granted, like I don't always know how a conversation is going to go with you, but 95 <laughs> times out of 100, that conversation will happen in a safe loving way and that is is huge right so yeah i think there's like there's big things and little things that make our relationship work Hmm. i think that's that's true for everyone it might look different for everyone but that's how it looks for us great set of questions uh there's one more oh (laughs) does working on it mean the same thing for both of you it's a spin-off from the last one so does working on it mean the same thing now i think this is a good question because i think for a lot of couples there can be a, a bit of a difference in how you relate to doing the work of relationships and what your preferences and expectations are around what that entails. Uh, I think for us, <laughs> we were talking about this earlier. I think that we've really converged in this respect. So whereas at the beginning, maybe we were coming from different places, uh, as we've talked about, Joel probably had a bit more of the- security. Uh, <laughs> I was coming from more secure <laughs> Yeah. No, I think that, uh, you know, Joel probably had a bit more resistance at the beginning to the work of, of being in a secure relationship just because it wasn't something that you had a lot of practice in. No. Right? And it can be really intimidating almost to keep showing up to those conversations that are not easy conversations to have, Yeah. particularly at the beginning. Uh, but I think these days working on it, we're pretty aligned in what that means. As we've talked about, you know, we both go to therapy. We talk about our relationship a lot. (laughs) We both have pretty similar values in that respect. We're both very, we both very much value personal development individually and relationally as well. Yeah. I think an important thing uh, for me to really say about this is not to make or learn not to make the other person the enemy. And working on it has really just been moving towards this person is not trying to control you. This person is not trying to, you know, <laughs> work against you. Yeah. They're, they're working with you. So yeah. working on it has now become a, a, a team effort mm. rather than an individual pursuit. Yeah, so true. I think that's, that's a really good point. Again, particularly for a more avoidant person, I think the fear around work is someone's trying to change me. Mm. And that's like often the defensiveness comes from like pushing that kind of energy away because for an avoidant person that can really be received as criticism and, you know, a story of a lot of avoidant people have the, the core sort of belief of feeling defective. And so... Uh, being told by their partner all the time that they need to do work and need to be doing all of this stuff, it can feel like you're telling me all the things I'm doing wrong. Yes. And it can be very demoralizing. Yes. And and can really wear someone down. So I think like having that mindset shift of 
it's us against the problems rather than me against you. Yeah. Uh, and that's our sort of joint. Yeah. And something that you mentioned the other day, which is, is separating the behaviors. Mm. When I first came into this relationship, the, the working on it, when hard things came up, it's easy for me to think of myself as the bad guy, mm. you know, a bad person, and separating now the behaviours mm. from yeah. being good or bad. Yeah, and it's a really important point for anyone listening. It's like we need to be able to give each other feedback on behaviour without receiving it as a personal attack. So if mm. I say, like, when you do X, you know, I feel Y, it's not like you are bad. It's like I didn't like that behaviour. And I think when we conflate those two things, it's like, yeah. oh, you're giving me feedback on how my behaviour impacts you. You're attacking me. And, of course, there are better and worse ways to give that feedback that can yeah. feel more like an attack or less like an attack. But there needs to be that culture of self-reflection and self-responsibility and not making ourselves immune to feedback. The the uh, I'll say this before we go. The, the one tactic I love um, the most is you introduced me to this. Mm. When I'm a little bit more regulated, I can say to Steph, the story I'm telling myself So I just describe how I'm viewing it Mm. and the story that I'm telling myself. So Mm. the the best thing about that is I'm taking responsibility for it Mm -hmm. and I'm describing a a very Mm. subjective Mm. story that could – there could be elements of truth to it, but it's very much like I'm taking responsibility of a projection that I'm having. Yeah, it's like an invitation into your experience and like – inviting your partner to see things from your perspective while also owning that you're telling yourself a story. Uh, so it's, I think it's a really nice way of saying to the extent where we're butting heads over something, it's like pause, reset. The story I'm telling myself is X rather than like just going at it and treating that story as truth and then getting upset or frustrated or hurt or defensive that your partner sees something differently. Mm-hmm. It's owning everything that we bring to those moments in terms of our own stuff and our own history and our own path, how much that shapes the way we show up and, and the way we perceive, particularly relationally. There's just so much baked into it. It's definitely a training ground. Yeah. And, you know, it's not easy. It's not, it's not the easy path. No. Uh, at all, but I. No, you know, should it be? And maybe I'm biased, but I think it's one of the most rewarding things that you can do is to really commit to the work of building a secure relationship. Um, You know, the growth that we've both experienced since being in this relationship, not just personally, but, you know, professionally and all of that, it's just, it, it's almost like the, the soil that allows a lot of really beautiful things to grow. Can I butcher a quote here? Please. Easy choices, hard life, hard life. No, oh, hard choices, <laughs> yeah, easy life. <laughs> well, I really butchered it. <laughs> yeah, totally. I think that's right. Okay, guys, so that was our relationship q and I hope that that hasn't been too much of a uh, distraction from the usual content. We'll be back to regular programming next week. Yes. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us. I hope that this has been a fun, nice insight into the behind the scenes. Um, and 
If you've enjoyed this episode, of course, please leave a rating and a review. It really does make such a difference. Uh, and I really, really appreciate you. Thanks so much for joining us, guys. I'll see you again next week. Thanks for joining me for this episode of On Attachment. If you want to go deeper on all things attachment, love, and relationships, you can find me on Instagram at stephanie underscore underscore rig or at stephanierig.com. And if you enjoyed this episode, I'd be so grateful if you could leave a review and a five-star rating. It really does help so much. Thanks again for being here, and I hope to see you again soon.